What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler. Visit rg-help.com. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. and welcome to the Monday edition of the Ringer Gambling Show. We are joined today by Chris Vernon. And before we get to the game that he went to, I just want to mention off the top, told you on Friday, it was going to be an ugly day. It was going to be some gross football games for the most part. And that's exactly what ends up playing out. We saw a lot of lower scores, I'm sure that's hard for people at home to get excited about. Some people weren't even excited about the Sunday night game. That was like a chess match back and forth. But because of the low scoring, I guess, in the rain, people were a little disappointed. But guys, you got to adapt. Football is fun, even if the scoring is low, as long as the games are competitive. But a game that did not see low scoring and a game that saw the emergence of a team really kind of planting its flag, I think, uh, was the Dallas Cowboys. And... This is a this is a crazy thing for me because I'm joined by Chris Vernon, obviously, who is a massive Dallas Cowboys fan. You guys can't see him right now, but he's sitting there still wearing Dallas Cowboys gear, recording this podcast on Monday morning after the game Sunday. And you were at that game, Chris. Talk to us a little bit about that experience, what you saw, the product out on the field, et cetera. So I'm coming to you live from Arlington, Texas. I'm still there. Uh, <laughs> I see the hotel room that you're in. Look, so I I have spent my entire life, my uh, a quick little aside, the reason I became a Cowboys fan, my father grew up in Tennessee. My dad did not have a football team when he was growing up. He saw the Dallas Cowboys games on national TV and loved Roger Staubach, Tom Landry, you know, the whole deal. He became a Cowboys fan, and while we moved around the country, my dad was always a massive Cowboys fan, 
And so, on Sundays, from the time I can remember, I always watch Cowboys games. Now, I have been to a few games over the years. I've been, I went to Indianapolis and saw them play. I went in St. Louis and saw them play. I went in Nashville, Tennessee and saw them play. But Warren, in my entire life, I have never been to a Cowboys home game. And this was this was the first one that I ever went to. And I had never seen, I had never been in AT&T Stadium and I had never seen them play in a home game. And so, with uh, my birthday was coming up this week, and my kids were on fall break from school, so we decided let's go do it. And we picked. Hold that on, Carolina hold on. Let me. Game. Let me. Uh, I got to interrupt. I, I will say happy birthday. I don't know what. You, get ready for your birthday. Happy future birthday. Whatever the the thing is. But what is fall break? They have it for school. It's just like a week off. Just just a random week. Yeah, off yeah, in yeah. October. They start. Yeah, they start early. Yep. Interesting. I never even heard of a fall break. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Okay, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> so we end up we end up uh, going to Dallas to see the game, and you know, look at halftime. I did the football fan thing. I had on a shirt. I walked outside. I bought another shirt. I took the one I had off. I said, "This shirt's got no luck in it." I bought another <laughs> shirt. Came out in the third quarter. Diggs Island appears, Cowboys score, score, score some more, and, you know, my son is 11 years old, so he's now a Cowboys fan, and we're high-fiving in the stands, going crazy, my daughter is dressed like a Cowboys cheerleader, and all in all, it was unbelievable, I I will tell you, in that first half, um, there was some weird stuff that took place, there were some reviews that took place, the stadium is exactly as advertised, it is absolutely unbelievable. But one thing that did stand out to me from being there is they constantly are saying like "get loud, get loud" when when it's time for you know when the when the when the other offense is on the field, and it's not like people there. It's so nice, and people are watching like the jumbotron, and it's not. I don't feel like it's some kind of massive home field advantage if it's an advantage at all that was what was kind of odd about being there because I go to college football games so often and college football games are massive home field advantages and it just didn't feel that way uh but in terms of the play on the field clearly in the third quarter the Cowboys exploded they had Ezekiel Elliott looking like it was five years ago Dak was as sharp as ever and that was a really good win for them. You know, I kept waiting for the real Sam Darnold to show up. And he threw a couple picks there in the second half. But in the first half, he was he was running for touchdowns like he was Michael Vick or something. And I started getting all these texts. And you'll love this, Warren. I started getting all these texts. How bad is Adam Gase? Because Darnold was looking so good. And, of course, we know what's happened with Tannehill. And now we see that Darnold is not nearly as bad as what he looked in New York. Uh, but all in all, no, it was a, it was a, it was a great win for the Cowboys and another monster cover. They are the only undefeated team against the spread in the NFL after the events of yesterday. And so. I thought they played well. You know, look, uh, the the clock never came into play. Mike McCarthy didn't have to make any <laughs> kind of tough decisions. It didn't feel like. Uh, 
but I, I didn't walk out of there thinking that Carolina's a fraud or Carolina, uh, that their record is because they had played some uh, poor teams to start off the season. I think that's a good team, too, and that's a team that was without their biggest we- weapon in Christian McCaffrey. But I thought it was a fun football game to watch, for sure. Yeah, there was – this was the week that we discussed, I think, on – I don't know if on our show Monday or on the Wednesday show, but obviously subs of this channel doesn't really matter. We discussed on this channel that this was going to be one of those strength of schedule weeks. This was a big week. I thought the general theme for this week – was strength of schedule, who you played, how do you match up, what's going to be the end result. And what I was pretty impressed with, obviously, was that third quarter. Of course, Dallas outscores Carolina 20 to nothing in that third quarter. Uh, But that just showcases to me a little bit some of the adjustments that were made out of halftime. And those adjustments came into play big time in terms of helping propel the Cowboys. They only scored three points in the fourth quarter. They didn't need to do much at that point in time. They were up by such a large margin uh, by that point in the game, by 19 points entering the fourth quarter. Uh, But that third quarter, obviously, they were trailing by one point at halftime, really set it off. Uh, I think you mentioned, you know, Sam Darnold, he performed pretty well in that first half, making some decent adjustments. Of course, he threw those picks uh, later in the game, and that is what ultimately decided it. But very good win for the Dallas Cowboys and um, certainly impressive. It's a team that has typically, this season at least, started out pretty well in the first half. I've really enjoyed the game scripting uh, that they've come out with with Kellen Moore to start games. But that's what made me even more impressed by their third quarter performance is that, you know, some OCs and one of the things I covered in my book and one of the things I cover in general is, you know, I want to know what you're doing your first 15 plays, your first game script out the at the blocks, how good are you in efficiency to start the game. But I also want to know how you come out that third quarter. Um, it's more important to start the game well to get that halftime lead. But it's also very valuable to make those adjustments to come out the block really strongly. So kudos to them on on that great performance. Well, instead of going and getting food somewhere, we for sure were going to get food and bring it back to the room because I was not going to miss Tom Brady's return to Foxborough. This had a tremendous lead up. Um, You know, a book came out, 100 million articles came out. And you knew that there was going to be this, this was going to be a show. Um, And I think people that were even non-football fans are tuning this in just because of the story that is Tom Brady's return. I don't know what you thought, but, and we're going to get to the game here in a moment. I did not think it was some kind of crazy, prolonged, wow, that was amazing response. You know, like, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know what I expected, and maybe it just isn't going to translate on TV from a stadium. But, like, when Tom Brady came out and they were, you know, I think we thought, oh, he's going to get the loudest roar and the lo- longest standing ovation of all time. I didn't think that that scene was that big of a deal as it took place. But let's talk about the game. I want to hear what you thought about Pat's Bucks, which does come down to uh, Nick Folk missing a 56-yarder, and Tom Brady did get the win in New England. Yeah, I thought, look, uh, again, a lot of people, first of all, was the hype built up a little bit too much ahead of time? I mean, yeah, like they're going to build up every single game that they can, even if it's Tom Brady versus 
Drew Brees, any of the big matchups on primetime, they're going to get built up. This one, of course, of course, we knew before the season started, this one was getting all the hype back in when they released the schedule. So, you know, uh, the schedule makers intentionally planned it so that it was going to uh, coincide with when Tom Brady was likely to set the NFL record for passing yards. And this was to be expected, in my opinion. The hype leading into this game was to be expected. The end result? I thought lived up to the hype. I thought that it was a good experience watching that game and that performance. It was fun to see the teams. I don't know how many lead changes there were. I think there were like five different lead changes throughout the course of the game. This was the game that we talked about on the Friday gambling show. I think a lot of people probably were betting on the game so that they and they were nervous and they were upset and they were kind of on the edge of their seat the entire game. I can't tell you, Chris, how many teasers were tied to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Anybody that was teasing to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, first of all, I just want to say this. You guys are lucky as hell. <laughs> I, I I did not I did not have any action on this game. Uh we we went we swept the board seven and no sides and totals of five and five on the week on props, like a 12 and five week overall NFL. NFL has been crushing to start the season. Had nothing on this game. So I'm a completely objective observer watching this game from a betting perspective, but everything I told uh, Solak on Wednesday and everything that I told uh, Joe House on Friday on this channel was 100% accurate. The sports books were completely overweighted with action on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They could have moved this line to seven if they wanted to earlier in the week. They could have moved this to seven and a half if they wanted to, but they didn't. And in fact, one of the sharpest offshore sports books out there dropped the line to minus six and a half plus 103 like an hour before the game. That means that if you want to bet on Tom Brady to cover the spread, not only will you get six and a half, do you only have to lay six and a half points so a touchdown will cover the game, but we'll pay you extra money plus 103 juice to do it. We want your bets over here at our book. We are going to give you $103 on every 100 that you put down. They were begging, in fact, for Patriots money, sorry, for the Buccaneers money to start this game. And if you teased down, teased the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and not didn't cross the seven in this game, so you're teasing them from like seven down to one or from six and a half down to minus a half, you need to stop. Take a lesson from the result that you barely won this game and you need to reevaluate what you are betting on. That was a bad teaser leg to begin with, and you 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 were fortunate to actually get that result. Now, I thought the game from a from a from a data perspective, from an analytical perspective, what was funny and interesting to me, Chris, the thing, one of the things that jumped out because people kept tweeting me about it during the game. And you have to keep in mind that during Sunday night football, I'm not just sitting here watching the game and and tweeting like I would be during the a preseason Sunday night game on on TV. I'm running my models and everything, getting ready for the next week. I mean, I'm hard at work. I'm still watching the game and doing a little bit on Twitter, but I'm getting ready for next week. I mean, that's how it's nonstop work when you run models and you're betting on the NFL. But at any rate, um, I'm seeing people tweeting me, sharp football has got to be going crazy about uh, the run rate of Tampa Bay. And in fact, in the second half of that game, 
on first downs, and I was critical of them running too much on first down, they went 87% run on first down, and these runs gained only 3.5 yards per carry on average. So yes, I mean, everybody at home is sitting there. The team is down. They are losing at halftime. They were losing in this game at halftime, seven to six, and they're running at this ridiculously high rate in the second half um, for not a whole lot of production, uh, but they were kind of not wanting Tom Brady to make too many mistakes, have to do too much. Um, there were some terrible drops, like late in the game when it was clutch time, we saw some clutch throws from Brady. The beginning of the game, he didn't look good, Chris. Later in the game, he ended up throwing the ball perfectly, but then AB was dropping them left and right. I thought it, I thought it was a fun game. Um, overall, Tom Brady, minus 9.6 completion percentage above expectation. That was the fourth worst of any quarterback this week. So he was terrible. Yes, it was raining. Yes, there were elements. He's got great wide receivers, and he was terrible. Uh, Mac Jones plus four point six completion percentage over expectation. They were th- that was the eleventh best in the league. They were throwing the ball a lot. They were trying not to run it. Um, I just at the end of the day, all I can say is I did not understand that Belichick decision to kick that field goal from that position in that rain. Yes, it almost made it. It hit the upright. You know, it was a crazy ending. And if it went through, then all the sports books would have been celebrating even harder. They already cleaned up on on the uh, ATS bets of everybody laying their money on Tom Brady there. But um, if they won the money line too, and all the teasers and money line parlays just got broken, the books would have absolutely loved that. But uh, I just thought that they should have gotten a little closer. I mean, it was what fourth and three. Um, I thought they could have called a play to execute. They were having success moving the football down the field. Um, but it was a great game. I loved it. Given the fact that they do run so much on first down, they are behind the sticks so often. It, it does show up mm-hmm. that Brady's safety blanket, Gronkowski's not there. Right? That is a, that is a loss because you yes. are always figuring when it comes third and seven. You know, he knows he's got something that he can go to to keep those chains moving, and so that loss is going to be significant for them for however long it is. Did your opinion? of either of these teams change? Not really. Um, yeah, obviously, expectation-wise, um, the Bucks not covering the spread should make somebody think a little bit less of them. But I don't. Given, the, given all the emotion that was built up into this game and given all of the um, pomp and circumstance and kind of pressure that's on Tom Brady for going up there and trying not to make mistakes and trying to win and everything that Belichick is obviously throwing in, like the defensive uh, packages that he's rolling into the game offensively, right? They pulled out all the stops. There was multiple, I think, like throwbacks to one side of the field. There was, you know, guys that weren't quarterbacks throwing passes down the field. I mean, they were trying everything that they possibly could here. Uh, to try and have success and win this game. Um, so given all of those things, I'm not going to think any less of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And you know, the one thing that you should know is this secondary um, is now very injured. Like they lost a couple of other starters throughout the course of that game to injury. Um, you know, Mac Jones, a lot of people are complaining and criticizing the fact that he's still not pushing the ball really far down the field. Uh, but I for this game clearly in my opinion the strategy was perfect. 
their O-line is not going to hold up in pass protection. They do have O-line issues. Trent Brown was still out again for this game um, for him to make all these deeper drops. And there was no run game. Like the run game, the, the, their big long drive, I think they had, uh, it might've been 11 plays, two were runs, 11 were pa- uh, nine were passes. Each run gained zero yards. I mean, Mac was having to do everything in terms of moving the football down the field. The passing game was, th- the shorter passing game replace the run game and the pass game overall. Like that's all they really had. So it's get the ball out quickly, read, identify the defense, try to find a guy who's open and and move the sticks, try to avoid as many third downs as possible, but like, just don't make negative plays. Don't turn the ball over. Don't throw interceptions. Uh, don't get sack fumbled. Don't take a sack. You know, don't have offensive holding. Like just stay in, in plus EV situations, moving the ball down the field and, Overall, I thought I thought they did a good job too, and uh, it's not great conditions for any young quarterback, and for him to be, you know, plus whatever I said, four point six completion percentage over expectation. I'm not downgrading the Patriots or or Mac Jones for not scoring enough uh, points here either. So, uh, my opinion of these teams remains the same as I thought previous to this game. Three great words. Free fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Valid one time on Friday. Participating McDonald's through 1231.24. Excludes tax. Must update rewards. One of the biggest covers of the week. For a favorite, it was the Bills. Uh, they ended up winning 40 to nothing. They were 19-point favorites going into this game, which is always hard for anybody to lay money on, but yet they covered that by three touchdowns. I mean, there's not too much to talk about from this. This is too... And the game stays under. And the game stays under. That was the crazy part because you're looking at that spread and game day money, Chris, is coming in on the Buffalo Bills. It's like 17 and a half goes to 18, goes to 19. And it's like, okay, at what point are... Like, might there be value? If it gets to 20, should we buy the Texans? Like, at what point is this getting out of control with Sunday morning money coming in on the Buffalo Bills here? And and then you're like, okay, how's this game going to go? Like, if if they are getting bet and they're the sharp side here and they're going to score enough points to cover this number, how's this game staying under the total? And that's exactly what we saw. Like that's that's how this game stays under the total. The Buffalo Bills defense completely shutting down Davis Mills. Uh, one of the props that I won was under Davis Mills' longest pass completion. It was at 33 and a half. I, I think the guy had like 19 yards passing total in the entire first half. Um, so even in garbage time, as he was trying to throw the ball deeper down the field, Buffalo's defense was rejecting those completions and uh yeah i mean solid cover it's the other thing was do we expect them to perform really well here as they're looking ahead to the huge matchup next week a rematch in week five of the afc championship game it's on sunday night football next week buffalo goes back to kansas city back to arrowhead stadium the line is only two and a half right now two and a half three the chiefs are favored at home by only two and a half to three points against these Buffalo Bills. Um, was there any look ahead? Was there any risk of that? And clearly there was not. The 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 Buffalo Bills played a great game um, and, and got the win in the cover. For underdogs, the biggest cover by a wide margin was the Cardinals, who were catching three and a half points. They end up 
drubbing the Rams. Now, this was insanely fascinating because the stories going into this were Jalen Ramsey has shut down DeAndre Hopkins. Sean McVay has absolutely owned Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals. And so do you feel like this is Arizona planting their flag in the ground that now this is the moment where okay, even if you were slightly impressed with them, you know they should have lost uh, that game against the Vikings earlier this season. Uh, People have kind of been up and down on the Cardinals, but this was a huge game that people were going to draw a lot from, and if nothing else, they proved that not only can they compete with a team that most everybody feels is the strongest team in their division, but I mean, they they thumped them, Warren. What what do we make of what happened between Arizona and the Rams? Yeah, no, they they absolutely thumped them. And what we can make, let's first talk about the Rams when they had the ball. They go down the field and they put up ten points in the first quarter. And you're thinking, okay, okay, uh, Sean McVay's back to his old tricks. When he had Jared Goff a quarterback. I think there were seven games that he's played as head coach against this Cardinals defense. He scored over 30 points every game. And so 10 points in the first quarter, you're thinking, okay, we're back to where this guy is. They scored 10 points the rest of the game. They scored only three points when it mattered the rest of the game. They got seven points in garbage time when they're down 37 to 13. And the game is under the total, by the way, at that point in time. Um, and they come back and they score seven points late. I think there was, I don't even know, three minutes left in the game. It was something ridiculous. It was very close uh, at that point. The One of the big takeaways, so, so on Arizona's side of the ball, I mean, credit to Cliff Kingsbury, credit to Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray continues to ball out. Um, this Rams defense, we have said, we, we said last week on the Ringer show, heading into the week, uh, three game against Tampa Bay, this Rams defense is a little bit overrated. This Rams defense was allowing Andy Dalton and Carson Wentz to go up and down the field on them. They just weren't scoring in the red zone. Tom Brady in week three had a lot of success on early downs going down the field against this Rams defense, but they were messing up on third downs and they weren't having enough success. That point on the other side, that's where the Rams and Matthew Stafford were dominating the Tampa Bay Bucks by converting on third downs. And so that's part of the reason why that scoring margin looks so lopsided. Um, and here again, we see another instance of the Cardinals having a lot of success on early downs, moving the ball down the field and producing. I mean, Kyler Murray, stud, Cliff Kingsbury, called a great game. I mean, this team, it wasn't even um, um, a pass-centric game. Uh, On early downs, Kyler Murray averaged seven yards per attempt, uh, but it was was just very efficient. He wasn't throwing the ball deep down the field. There weren't a lot of big completions made. That's not the defense that the Rams play. They don't allow you to uh, have that much downfield success, but that's the impressive part about the Cardinals, and, and specifically Kyler Murray, is picking apart when they needed to. The running backs, you know, they didn't have a great day on the ground. It was it was fine 
It wasn't adding a lot to them. The the rushing production, I mean, James Conner only averaged 2.8 yards per carry. The rushing production was a few big runs from Chase Edmonds, a couple of key scrambles from Kyler Murray, and then Kyler Murray getting the ball uh, to his receivers through the air. The thing that's the bigger takeaway for me is why didn't the Rams offense have more success? And part of the reason is Sean McVay. And I mean, Everybody loves to crown Sean McVay, and I I don't want to get pegged as a Sean McVay hater, but because but because I say some things that are negative about a coach, you know, on certain things that he's doing wrong, you know, that's sometimes what people think of me. That's not the case. I like Sean McVay in general. He absolutely has some big time issues that he needs to work around. They are too run heavy on early downs. And he is too scared as a coach to make good plus EV decisions. There were three decisions where they could have increased their chances from a win percentage perspective to win this football game in the first half of this game. And they made the wrong decision each time. They punted on fourth and three from the Cardinals 49 yard line in the first quarter. They kicked a field goal from the Cardinals' four-yard line, and they kicked a field goal from the Cardinals' 23-yard line. Both of these are on like fourth and five or less. And in all those situations, the correct decision was to go for the play, go for it on fourth down, try to convert. And they made the wrong mistake kicking all three times, one of which was a punt. Just it, So it doesn't shock me that they're getting blown out. They're not being as aggressive as they need to be. Mm. Do you view the Cardinals much differently? Because even if we looked at the very beginning of the season, they were great against the Titans. We all know they should have lost that Vikings game as a short field goal was missed against them at the buzzer. Um, And so I think we were all kind of doing the wait and see thing. Uh, Well, we wait and saw when they were playing against a team that's supposed to be the best of the division, and they killed them. So are we thinking much differently about the Cardinals than we did, say, two days ago? Yes, I am definitely thinking much differently. Um, The Cardinals, this again, was the strength of schedule. Are they going to be able to step up? They're going up against a defense that ranks 13th in efficiency after playing the Titans, the Vikings, and the Jaguars, two AFC South defenses that generally stink plus the Minnesota Vikings who were obviously having a down year on the defensive side of the football in general. All of those defenses ranked 25th or worse in defensive efficiency. Now you're going up against the Rams. This is a test. Will you pass the test? They passed the test. Arizona's offense passed the test here. The biggest concern for me in this game on Arizona's side of the football their offensive line, their pass protection for Kyler Murray. They were problematic in their game against the Jaguars. They lost multiple starters. They were shuffling around guys all over the place. Guys were on the injury report not practicing throughout the course of the week. They had multiple guys playing out of position on the line to juggle injuries, and yet they still go into L.A. and put up a number like this. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely think that this Cardinals offense is – Having, I mean, it's clear. I don't have to tell anybody this. The best season under Cliff Kingsbury, a coach that has had a little, few more downs than ups in his decision-making process as coach of the Cardinals. Uh, so I'm happy for them that they seem to have things running on track. But I absolutely do think a little bit stronger of them um, from the offensive side of the football. Would you think it's crazy if someone said, I think they can win that division? No, 
Is that too far? No, 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 definitely not. No. Definitely not. Okay, well, because one of the teams in the division is that 49ers team, and it looks like we're going to see Trey Lance now. And tell me what you think about Niners-Seahawks, the way that played out. We know Jimmy G is going to be getting an MRI, so we might see Trey Lance going forward. It does sound like we're going to see Trey Lance. I mean, Jimmy G, I saw him in the post-game press conferences as I was working late into the night last night on NFL stuff for this upcoming week. And, I mean, I'm not a body language expert. This dude looks completely dejected. Um, He basically was making comments like, well, it's another year of this. Um, like I'm hoping it was going to turn around. I'm hoping this wasn't going to be the case, but you know, it's just very frustrating. Uh, I'm going to get back soon, as soon as I possibly can. Like this dude can't stay healthy. He said it was his calf that started tightening up, and he tried to gut it out, but like it went. I mean, maybe he hurt it on a scramble, and then it started. Like I don't know how your calf like slowly tightens up as a quarterback. He must have somehow injured it. That's why they're getting the MRI on it. It's much. It's got to be something more than just cramps, right? Like. To, to do something like that. So we'll see what that shows. But at any rate, it sounds like he himself post game was planning on missing a little bit of time here. And that changes, that changes their projection greatly. Just given, I don't know what Lance is going to be, but just given what we have seen from the rookie quarterbacks, even, but by the way, shout out to Zach Wilson for the performance yesterday. The kid's probably gotten, he's, he's gotten beat up worse than any of them. But what we know is the the 49ers, no matter what you think of Jimmy G, their projection of how many games they're going to win does not go up because Trey Lance is going to be in the lineup. No. And it was a rough it was a rough go for him yesterday when he came in. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, look, in the first half of the game, um the 49ers were attacking the Seahawks using the pass. They were 65% pass in the first half of the game. You know, they were they were trying to throw the football on the Seattle defense and they were having success doing so. Obviously they jumped out to a 7-nothing lead. I was I was shocked because I liked Seattle in that game. I took Seattle a couple of different ways in that game and I was I could not believe that the score was only 7-nothing entering the second quarter. I couldn't believe that Seattle was banging with these guys and tied the game at 7 at halftime because San Francisco clearly dominated that first half. If you look at the first half of the game, San Francisco had 219 yards. Seattle only had 80 and yet the score is tied at halftime. It was pretty unbelievable uh how much better San Francisco was to start that game. Uh, so two takeaways for me here. Number one, Trey Lance, because you 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 brought him up and you wanted to mention him. I'm going to pull up his um, completion percentage above expectation stats here real quick for you, because it was not a great day for Trey Lance, obviously, uh, passing the football. Um, he was definitely one of the bottom quarterbacks in the league. The only guy who was worse than him was Teddy Bridgewater, uh, although Teddy Bridgewater got knocked out, of course, but on 18 um, pass attempts, uh, Trey Lance was minus 17% below expected expected completion percentage. So yes, he throws two touchdowns. His passer rating looks great, but he did not look good from a completion percentage above expectation. There are definitely going to be times when you are watching Trey Lance where the following are going to be true. 
where Jimmy G, as a pure passer, let's forget the rushing element, as a pure passer, would have the upper hand. Number one, route recognition and which guy to throw the football to, right? Like Jimmy G has studied more defenses, have a lot more experience. He's going to be able to pick the guy to throw the ball better. Number two, Jimmy G is far more likely to be settled in the pocket to be able to hit these guys than Trey Lance, who obviously, as we saw in this game a little bit, dropping his eyes some, running around in the pocket a little bit more, not feeling quite as comfortable in that situation. Um, And number three, then there's just like the overall accuracy factor. Trey Lance has the bigger arm. He can get the ball further down the field. And when he does connect, some of these plays are going to be incredible. However, he's going to give you a lot more variance when he's throwing the football and not going to have quite the level of accuracy. That said, what I will mention is we did not see the Trey Lance offense being run in this game. That is bec- that is because the Trey Lance offense w- is sitting in a Kyle Shanahan notebook that he's been building over the course of since he drafted this guy to roll out when it's time for Trey Lance to start a game. But when you're going into a week four game against the Seahawks, you are preparing maybe five, 10, 15 plays total that you've got as like options for Trey Lance when he gets in there. Like, okay, let's try this with Trey. Let's try that with Trey. This would be a good play for Trey. The the plays that like are going to catch the Seahawks off guard, the plays that you're going to change a pace, work into the game plan and pull Jimmy G out. This is not the actual strategy though, for the course of the entire game. So you're having to do a lot of things on the fly. Here, we're going to see an entire week against the Arizona Cardinals where they're going to have a chance to work in the Trey Lance offense in practice and get him to take reps with the ones and get him to do everything. So I'm really interested to see uh, what that looks like. The thing, the takeaway, the second main takeaway from this game for me was the Seattle offense and the reason they fell behind at the beginning of this game. And in large part, that's a a, a coaching issue. I mean, I don't understand what this team continues to do on first downs in the first half. This team goes 67% run. Those runs gained only 2.7 yards per carry. Meanwhile, you got Russell Wilson at quarterback. He's averaging 8.7 yards per carry on these first downs. uh, Sorry, yards per pass attempt on these first downs. And the San Francisco secondary is beaten up and battered. They're weakened. And you've got DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, why are, why are we banging our head into a brick wall against this front of the 49ers as good against the run? And clearly we're not being successful when we run the football and setting ourselves up in continuous second and long situations when we do that. Let's just pass the ball, make life easier on Russ so he's not passing on as many third downs, an obvious pass. Let's make life easier on our offense by being more productive. So I, I still remain a little bit frustrated by the kind of the Pete Carroll influence. And, and here's the problem, though, with that, is that this team overall is good and they've got Russell Wilson. So will we ever see them completely go away from that when they are still going on the road and winning by double digits against the 49ers, right? Like Pete is going to look at the result and say the process was correct because the results are a win. We needed a win. We had lost two straight. We needed this win. We ran the ball a lot on first down. We got the win. He's not going to look at it from anything deeper than that. So no, I don't think that we're going to see that change anytime soon. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. 
From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A T L A S S I A N.com. Atlassian. We mentioned him in passing, but I felt happy for Zach Wilson because last week I was walking through my house and uh, there was one of the one of the TVs was on ESPN and they were doing the debate show in the morning and I it was Stephen A. Smith and Dan Orlovsky and I was as I was walking through and Stephen A. was like I see it with Mac Jones. I see it with Trevor Lawrence. He's going to be fine. I see it with Justin Fields. He's going to be fine. But Zach Wilson, <laughs> he's like, he's terrible. He's disgusting. He is. I don't see it. You know, and just tr- killing the kid. You got the one, you know, the little kid uh, that's got the famous TikTok, you know, that's killing the Jets. <laughs> and Zach Wilson. Yeah, I remember that. You know, last week. and that like, was funny. this kid has just gotten. <laughs> absolutely maimed for the first couple of weeks of the season. And so it was nice to see flashes of why people did like Zach Wilson coming out of the draft and for the first time to have a little success. So good for him because I feel like though it has been a struggle for many of these kids thrown into starting roles, he has gotten it the worst. Now, in fairness, he's probably played the worst, but Yesterday, I mean, if you want to convince yourself that, like, hey, they didn't screw this up, Zach Wilson's going to be just fine, yesterday was at least a little feather in his cap. Yeah, no, I was happy. Um, This was a game that I pegged uh, as the game that we're going to see Zach Wilson perform. The defenses that the Jets had gone up against, this was one of those big key strength of schedule spots that I was telling everybody who's listening to this podcast. So I hope everybody here had some New York Jets uh, ATS because this is what we gave out. This is what we were talking about. The Jets had played, I mean, Zach Wilson had gone up against the most ridiculous schedule of opposing defenses that any quarterback could have possibly gone up against in the last several years. I mean, I can't recall, how do you start off with a more difficult schedule than The Carolina Panthers, the number one defense in the NFL, at least for the first month. Of course, they lost J.C. Horn, so that was a factor in some of their performance against the Cowboys. But uh, the number one defense of the first month of the season, that's week one's opponent. Week two is Bill Belichick working on a rookie quarterback. Uh, That pass defense is good, number one. And number two, you saw what they just did to Tom Brady. Uh, Number two, he always dominates rookie quarterbacks. And then Vic Fangio and the Denver Broncos. I mean, are you kidding me? So that's who Zach Wilson went up the first three weeks of the season. Absurd. This was a breakout opportunity for him. Now, all things being considered, was he great? Well, he had in whatever his pass rating was, 97%. But he still, I mean, he was minus seven 
completion percentage above expectation. Um, what he was doing was hitting on a couple of big downfield throws when the team really needed him. It was it was uneven, but it was yeah 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 no it was uneven it was uneven. But if you're if you want to think hey here's a glimpse of you saw it yes absolutely he was pushing the ball down the field. Um, he was making good reads. His aggressiveness percentage was down at 11.8%, which was better than average. Like he wasn't trying to force the ball into too tight of windows. He was making some clutch throws. He was making throws on the move. Like this was a good glimpse of good Zach Wilson against a pass defense that is below average. And he finally was able to produce here. Super happy for the kid. I I hate it when teams keep losing games week in and week out. I hate the pressure that it brings to the players, to the coaches. I hate the vitriol that you hear in the media constantly criticizing the team. It's It's just totally bad vibes. I hate when teams can't get off the schneid. I'm so happy that they were able to get their first win. Happy for Zach to play a lot better in this game. Um, and, you know, we were happy for the bankroll and everybody who followed along because that was one of our games this week that we pegged to a T. Let's let's burn through uh, biggest under, biggest over. Uh, the Browns 14-7 to in their game over the Vikings. Uh, the over-under on that game was 51.5, so way, way, way under. And then the Chiefs-Eagles, the number was 54. It ends up 72. So if you can, just hit on those. Is it good offense, uh, bad defense in Chiefs-Eagles? Is it good defense, bad offense? in Browns versus Vikings. Why were those numbers, why did those numbers end up being so off in both of those games? Yeah, like we'll start with the biggest high scoring game, the 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 Chiefs Eagles. This was a case where Andy Reid, we saw what Dallas did successfully against this Eagles defense the prior week and Andy Reid just built on that, right? Like plus he's got Patrick Mahomes who refuses to throw a normal touchdown pass anymore. Every every touchdown <laughs> pass that these guys are these guys are throwing is like the underhand like I just got home from a long day. I'm going to pitch the keys into the key holder and I'm going to go flop onto the couch. That's how he's throwing his touchdown passes now. Can you imagine though these guys, okay, to get as good at throwing those passes and more importantly, like think about it as a player, whether you're the tight end, whether you're a running back or a receiver, Catching the ball that's thrown underhand to you from a different angle, um, you got to practice that a bunch at practice. And the fact that they're doing so much of that on these plays down near the end zone tells me that like these guys made a point to try to change the way that passes are thrown at the end zone. You know, maybe they're looking at these have a higher completion rate. They're looking at these are less likely to get batted down. Um, these are more easily fit into windows because defender defenders are rushing and you're trying to throw the ball past him. Where's the defender's hands? He's either blocking the offensive lineman, like trying to get pressure on the quarterback so his hands are up high at his waist, or he's he's running, trying to bat down a pass with his hands up. So now we're throwing the ball where the the defender's hands usually are never at. And that's like right down by his waistline. That's where these passes are going. I mean, it's it's 
it's pretty incredible if that's really what their intention is here to try to say, well, defenders rarely have their hands down at their waist. Let's start throwing passes to receivers where they're catching the ball down at their waist from a quarterback who's throwing the ball down at his waist. And we're just <laughs> connecting on these waistline passes back and forth. But that's what they seem to be doing. Um, and of course, look, the Chiefs defense still is a problem. That's why this game against the Bills is going to be so interesting. The Chiefs were without a couple key players. They're struggling to get pressure on the quarterback. Um, that game is going to be fascinating Sunday Night Football next week. I'm, we're going to be talking about it a ton on the show down the stretch, but their defense still is problematic. Um, on the other side of the ball, Minnesota-Cleveland, I mean, I don't know. Ba- Baker Mayfield is able to get the victory here uh, without throwing a single touchdown pass, taking three sacks, uh, he had 33 attempts and only passed for 155 yards on the day. Um, a minus 13.5 completion percentage above expectation. That was third worst in the league last week. I did so, wonder, though, Warren, I did just seeing that score. I wondered if, because I was watching the pregame shows and they were saying Stefanski had been with Zimmer for 12 years, and if this was just a function of not not unlike the Sunday night game that got so ugly with two guys that know each other so intensely well. It's not going to add up into a shootout. And, in fact, the football can end up being rather ugly. I did wonder if what happened yesterday between the Browns and the Vikings was simply a function of two guys that know each other so well uh, that there just wasn't going to be some kind of offensive fireworks in this game. Look, th- this is this is why when you put in the hours, like there's a, this is why you lift all them weights, right? Like getting ready for games. This is why when you're handicapping games and you're thinking about games, there's so many different layers to it that you have to work through and progress. Beating the books is not easy. I could tell you that there are a number of people looked at that game and were like, over, we're going over the total. And the point that you made is exactly an astute point that you've got a lot of familiarity. And oftentimes when you have a lot of familiarity between guys and they know what the other guy likes to do and they've gone up against each other in practice for at least a year, like that is going to be problematic. And you've got two desperate teams to get wins in that game. That's going to be an issue, right? Like another thing, Um, When you're looking at the Sunday night game, I can't tell you how many people were wanting to run and back the over there. You've got sports books that hung a 49 point total on what was going to be the most viewed NFL regular season game in history, the most bet NFL regular season game on history. And everybody, 95% of them are running to bet Tampa Bay minus six after laying points with the favorite. You could have set a total on that game at 51, 52. (laughs) That total that they set down in the 40s, I can't tell you, Chris, how much lopsided action we're seeing on the over in that game. And I tried to tell, I told House about this on Friday. So so there's there's some things that you know from like doing what I do for as long as I did and talking with the people that I do just situations that you need to be careful about. And that's why we're going to try to share all of them with you on this podcast moving forward to make you guys a little bit of money. The other thing was like with with my totals, I had, I told you guys it was going to be an ugly week. 
I had four unders. I had no overs. Last year, this time, I was betting nothing but overs. This year, we're betting nothing but unders. Why? I'm following the computer model. And the computer model that is hitting 61% lifetime is telling me to be betting these unders. There's value in these unders. And so that's what we're taking. But beyond just saying, well, this game has value to the under, okay, beyond just looking at that, you have to continue to peel layers to handicap a game. Because I can tell you what, Chris, we bet two games, first half unders, and we bet two games, full game unders, okay? So two different games, we bet the first half under in the 1 p.m. slate. Two different games, we bet the full game under in the 4 p.m. slate. You know what the games that we bet under in the full game slate did in the first half? They both went over the total in the first half. We would have lost those bets if we had just done nothing but bet first half under, but we bet the full game unders instead. And the games in the 1 p.m. slate where we bet them both under in the first half, one of those games went un, went over for the full game and we won in under for the first half. So we went four and oh in those bets. But if you had just done the opposite of what we were doing and bet the full games where we bet first half or bet first half where we bet full, you would have went one and three. The reason that we're betting it the way that we are is because we're studying the matchups and analyzing the coaching and the way that this game's gonna play out. So the bottom line is like, even if you just have a computer model, you're still not gonna hit at like the most perfect rate because you have to involve a lot of other factors and play them into it. So um, it is not an easy thing to win betting sports, but that was a very astute point on your part with regard to the familiarity between Kevin Stefanski and Mike Zimmer in that game. Last thing before we get out of here, Warren, the Monday night football game. We have one undefeated team left uh, that has already played their fourth game, and that is the Arizona Cardinals. The Vegas Raiders are 3-0, and so will the Cardinals be the only undefeated team in the NFL, or will they have company uh, with the Raiders? What do we make of Raiders-Chargers tonight? I think it's going to be a great game. I mean, AFC West uh, supremacy here. Um, I think it's going to be an outstanding game. Um, I'm interested to see the fan base and how that's split up. Uh, you've got Las Vegas, Los Angeles. Um, I'm interested to see the main matchup I, I care to watch in this game, Chris, is that newly rebuilt offensive line of the LA uh, of the LA Chargers going up against this pass rush unit of the Raiders that has been one of the best in the NFL to date. How well are they getting protection for Justin Herbert? How much are the Raiders getting pressure on Justin Herbert? I think that matchup along the line when the Chargers have the ball and they drop back to pass is going to be the single matchup that ultimately decides this game over attrition, over a number of plays, right? And dropbacks. That's what's going to ultimately decide this game. And I'm not quite sure who ends up having the upper hand. Normally, I'm going to side with a quarterback because I think you can define when you're getting rid of the ball. You can define your movement. Justin Herbert, we know, has performed better uh, when he's gotten out of the pocket. He's performed fairly well um, in key situations, even when forced into third downs. He's unbelievable on third downs, and he's not regressing like you would expect uh, quarterback's production on third downs, especially in these longer-to-go situations. Um, so he's kind of avoiding that due to his arm talent, his ability to uh, read defenses on these third downs and get rid of the ball with timing and precision and and uh, 
like the precognition, like the prevision of where he needs to throw the ball so that it's going to get to his guy at the right point in time when he's on the move. Like all the brain calculus that goes into those types of things is is pretty awesome. It's second nature to those guys. But if you and I are like just dropping back against pressure and trying to think, okay, I got to throw it here and I got to drop it right there before these defenders close in and converge. And this is the only place like on third down time and time again, it's just awesome to watch. I've done nothing from a betting perspective on this game. I did see a little bit, little bit of value to the under uh, when it was at 52 and a half, but at 51 and a half, I, I don't see as much value. Uh, 51 is a key number. I'm not sure where this total goes from here. From a wise guy, sharp perspective, the first play here was the Chargers laying three. It got up to three and a half. The second move was the Raiders taking the three and a half, dropped it back down to three. So we do have differing opinions on this one uh, from some different groups. And I think it's going to be a great game, a great way to close out a fun weekend of football. All right. It was another really good week. And we will see if uh, it would be pretty wild if we're this far into the season and the only undefeated team (laughs) is the Cardinals. But look, even if it's not the Cardinals, it's going to be the Cardinals and the Raiders. We're going to look up as the only teams that haven't lost. Warren, it's always a pleasure. I will talk to you next week. Sounds good, Chris. Enjoy your trip back home from Dallas. I'm sure you're going to be on cloud nine the rest of the way. And that'll do it, guys. Thank you for listening. We'll be back on Wednesday with Ben Solak to go through all the film and the data to see if we can find edges for the upcoming slate of games this week five. Thank you to Chris Vernon, obviously, for joining me and enjoying the Dallas win yesterday. Thanks to Mike Wargon and Craig Holbrecht for producing the show. We will see you guys on Wednesday. Wednesday.